You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Praise is the just the definition again, understanding this, is the lifting up of your whole self to Him. Basically, the offering of all that you are to all that He is, is praise. And then Proverbs 23, 26, it says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. So we, we know that we are meant for Him and we are made for Him. And I love that verse. I use that verse because it's not talking about, uh, it's not going into great detail, but if, if you think of giving your heart to someone, that's the most precious thing that you can give, right? That is at the very core, the depth of who you are and everything of value exists within your heart. And so it adds, it, it, it emphasizes this point that we are meant to give him our hearts. And that really has been one of the issues that we've seen in the church today is that people are not willing to give him their heart. They're willing to give him uh, their intellect, uh, their habits, their behaviors um, to an extent, but to give him your heart is to give him everything that you are. And that's what we seem to struggle with. Uh, Recognizing that we're meant for him, that we're made for him, and that this truth holds uh, purpose and destiny within it. Uh, To discover truth and or purpose and destiny, to discover these things, you can only realize these things when you wholly give yourself to the Lord. Because you are made for him. And if you are only giving a piece of yourself to him, you're only ever going to understand a piece of who you are and what you're made to do. So many issues that we see today, just in the counseling that I do with people, revolves around identity. The anxiety, the depression, the stress, all these things that they, they're dealing with, it, it revolves around identity. It's, it's this lack of understanding who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you will not have direction. That is the first thing that you have to know. It's the absolute first thing. It's, it's an easy lesson when raising kids. My boys know that they have a last name that was given to them and that they have to earn that name. They have to, they have to represent that name well with honor and integrity to honor those that have come before. They recognize that this, this is, uh, there's, there's a standard that comes with it. And they see it when they see their grandfathers and, and they have interactions with their uncles. It's like, okay, this is, a, this is a bigger deal that I'm a part of. It's this recognition uh, of purpose, this recognition of destiny that has just come from one last name, one name. And so now add that to the spiritual nature of who the Lord has created us to be in the spiritual nature and uh, throughout Scripture, the testimony throughout Scripture. What does he do before he sets anybody on a new path? What does he do? He gives them a new name. Every single time throughout scripture, he gives them a new name. He has a name. The name that your parents gave you, this is a different lesson, but the name that your parents gave you is not the name that exists in heaven for you because you are a specific and a unique creation that the Lord has named as a vessel specifically named with the intent of purpose that he has around your life. My wife, through just through her relationship with the Holy Spirit and just allowing him to lead her to this, he knows that the Lord calls her peace. And so he, she knows that no matter where she goes, peace is what needs to be established. And 
a lot of you know this, but before I came out here, Sarah and I were just dating before we, uh, before I got the job and I moved out here, I was just interviewing and the Lord just simply told me, you don't, you don't survive without Sarah. I was like, oh, okay. But I realized that I don't survive without Sarah because the Lord was bringing me into chaos and without peace to go home to, it's just chaos all around. And recognizing that Sundown, Texas was in desperate need of peace when we came here because it was just turmoil. And in a lot of places, it still is turmoil. But we recognize the purpose and destiny that we have when we understand a name that the Lord has given us. It's so crucial and it's so important, but you can never realize those two things if you're not willing to give the entirety of who you are to who he is. That's the first step. Giving all of myself to all he is. And so much of the turmoil that we walk through could be completely and totally avoided if we would just simply give him our heart. And in this, as we give him all of ourself, we allow ourselves to come into further and deeper understanding. When, he, when we give ourselves fully to him in all areas of our life, including praise, we position ourselves to receive from the Father revelation, blessing, and fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And all of that holds greater understanding about what's taking place and what's happening around you, what's happening within you and what's happening around you. There are only good things to be found in completely offering yourself to him. And one of those, and this is important for the day that we're in, one of those important things that you will find, one of those good things that you find when you give yourself fully to God is the absence of turmoil in your, in your story. The absence of turmoil. So many people wrestle with this, this internal wrestling match of turmoil and stress and worry and anxiety that could be totally alleviated if they were just allowing themselves to fully be the Lord's and Him to fully be theirs. And doubt, when you give yourself fully to the Lord, you gain understanding through revelation, blessing, and fresh outpouring. And then doubt no longer has a place to stand in your story. When you've given yourself fully to God, now t- I'll just pose a question to, to the group. Um, but how does doubt exist? Between your relationship with the Lord And in your story, how can doubt exist? When I focus on him. Sure, of course. Of course. But what if my focus isn't on him, take that like a step deeper. Why would my focus not be on him? Circumstance. Okay, circumstance. But why in a circumstance would I take my focus off of him? I've got like an eyelash in my eye, so you guys just ignore me as I'm playing with my contact. Your faith is not, or your trust is not completely in him. Ooh, there it is. I like guns, and I like hunting. I make things go boom, and lay down, and then I take them home, and I eat them. Um, and my boys have been around it. But I'm not going to give my kid my nine millimeter and just let him go with it. I'm going to doubt his ability to do it because there is no relationship with that. There is no experience in that environment. Absolutely none. Just like when I take my kids home tonight, I'm not going to hand them the keys and let them drive me home. There's no understanding. There's no relationship. There's no depth. There's no familiarity with that task. 
Same with couples. A strong marriage is not a marriage that has people that know very little about each other. It's a relationship built around depth that this person knows me better than I know myself most of the time. They know what I'm about to do before I do it. It's frustrating, but it's, it's good, right? Especially your weaknesses. They know it before it even flares up and they can call it out. But that only comes through time spent. An investment, it has to be invested and that is a choice that we have to make. And so when I start doing that, when I, when I have this relationship with my wife and I pour in and she pours into me, will I ever doubt her love towards me? Will she ever doubt my love towards her? When she's gone, you know, she was gone. She had a meeting on Saturday. We had people coming over um, and our three or three year old, she's one year old, third kid, one years old, was just like, no nap today. And daddy, you're not good enough. So just screamed her head off. And I, it, Sarah's in a meeting. Sarah's working in love. But I'm texting her like, hey, uh, you know, you said 1.30 and it's 2 o'clock. Where are you at? Because daddy's arm is asleep and I can't keep holding this baby. Um, and we had people there waiting on me. But I send her that text. If I didn't know her very well, my mind's going to start going to some dark places. Right? Or maybe not even dark places, just she's just blowing us off. She doesn't want to be here. Right? And then what, what does she come home to? Bitterness, anger. That's something that didn't even happen. Right? But I know her, so I know she's busy. And then finally when she calls me, what had happened? Carrie's car was having trouble, so she gave her a ride home. And that's why she was late. It's like, duh, of course that's what you did. But it's all because of a relationship, because of taking time to understand and know this person, giving myself fully to her, her giving herself fully to me, and then doubt no longer has a leg to stand on. So much. We talk about how the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy through fear, doubt, and division. Doubt can only exist when there's gaps in your relationship with the Lord. That's the only way it exists. And then if doubt exists, fear exists. Fear only comes, like if, if I'm standing at the edge of a cliff, say it's 20 feet and there's water down there. Fear is going to come in when I start doubting the circumstance and my ability to see myself through it. And then fear is introduced. Only then can fear come in. It has to be introduced and it's always introduced by doubt. And if there's doubt, then fear comes in. And then what does that start to create? Starts to create division. So if doubt can be removed simply by giving myself completely to the Lord and he's already given himself fully to me and then pursuing relationship, keeping my eyes fixed on him, no matter the circumstance, pursuing him, then there will be no fear and there will be no division because doubt is not there. And doubt is the seed that gives life to those other two. And it all can be alleviated if we would just give ourselves to the Lord. It will have no land to occupy in your heart. All because you've given yourself to freedom for which he has set us free. And we're going to talk more about that in, in days to come, about that freedom specifically. But today we're going to do 
A lesson, I don't know if anybody was expecting this, but it's an obvious one. We're going to be in John 4, and you can turn there now. We'll be in verse 21, and you'll know this is the, this is the woman at the well. This is her story, and there's, an, there's a conversation about worship, a brief conversation about worship, but there's a conversation about worship nonetheless in John 4, 21 through 24. And so we're going to look at that passage of Scripture and break that down this evening. In verse 21, and Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such a people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so we know this very, there's a very obvious meaning to that. And then there's deeper meaning to it. Obviously, we, what was he talking about? He was talking about his sacrifice on the cross, making the way that the people of God could be restored and filled with the presence of God again. Because it is impossible to truly worship God without God. And we were separated from him and we were sacrificing animals that barely scratched the surface of the debt that we were in towards him because of our sin. But now washed because of the blood of Jesus who lived a perfect life. Now we are able to receive the spirit of God and in the receiving of the spirit of God, we can truly worship the Lord. You cannot worship the Lord right here and now. It is saying right there, the time where you could worship him without the spirit has ended. It is no more. Now the Spirit has been made available to you. Period. And you worship Him with the Spirit or you don't. We got to understand that sometimes the the Bible, there, there are some things that we don't understand. I don't think we ever will understand. There's questions to have, sure. But the Bible is logical and the Bible is direct on purpose. And we, trying to, Avoid hurting people's feelings. Soften it. But he says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. If you do not worship the Lord in spirit because you have not received the Holy Spirit for yourself, you do not worship him. You are not a true worshiper, period. If you don't like it, take it up with scripture. I didn't write it. That's just what it's reading on the page, right? So we know that. And we know that he's talking about the days that we live in where the spirit of God has been poured out and we have gotten to receive it. And it's beautiful. And the spirit will lead you into all truth. Right. We know this to be true. But let's look at that even more. What is it to worship in spirit? Well, it's it's not about a place. This is going to be something else that we talk about. It's not about a place or about an appearance. We have got to stop treating God as a locational God. He is not waiting for us when we come here because this is the only place that he exists. He's here because we gather here and we carry him with us. But what does that also mean? That means he's in your car when you get in it. That means he's in the store when you get in it. But we treat God as this locational God that I only encounter him in this place. And then when I leave, his presence is absent from me. But we view this as the only place to encounter him. And then we we worry and we deal with struggles and we never turn to the Lord because the Lord is over here. He's not in this present moment with me. Lord is not locational. Wherever you are, there he is. Closer than your breath. 
closer than the blood in your veins. It's important for us to recognize that, that it's not about a place. It's not about an appearance to worship him in spirit. It's about submitting the flesh to the spirit of God, to be focused on spiritual realities and to allow the father to bring about revelation, to define the world around you, to see as he sees, allowing the spirit to lead us through our time here, submitting to his will and not mine. It is simply the submitting to the spiritual realities and recognizing spiritual realities and not submitting to worldly circumstances and not focusing on those things. To worship him in spirit is simply to be guided and led by the spirit of God. Plain and simple, it's not complicated and it's not meant to be complicated. To worship in spirit, as Jesus talks about in John 15, is simply to remain in, to abide. In what? To abide in his spoken word. Now, he says in John 15, he says, abide in my word and my words will abide in you. What is that word translated to? We've talked about this before, but it's, it translates back to rhema, which means spoken word, present tense, currently speaking. Right. Currently talking. It's important to recognize the grammatical things. It's maybe one of the only things that I've kept with me since I've graduated school. It's the grammar part of it. It was maybe the only thing that I saw any value in. But to worship in spirit is to remain in his spoken word that he's speaking to us, to allow him to define again to us the world around us and what's happening. And then to remain in the truth that the Spirit is speaking to us. That as the Spirit speaks, I receive that truth and I remain in it. I remain rooted in it. I never depart from it. That is worship in spirit. That is true worship unto the Lord. And to worship in spirit, to just continue, we must accept and receive truth. You cannot worship in spirit if you deny truth. And you cannot receive truth without the Spirit, right? Because the Spirit will lead you into all truth. Not truth leads you to the Spirit. That's one of those other things that we've got mixed up here in the Western world is that truth will lead me to God. No, God is the author of truth. And He can only invite you into it. That's, that's the arrogance that comes and we have now all these denominations because men went looking for truth through this instead of allowing the Lord to speak truth to them by showing them this. When you open this up, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to prove that all them homosexuals are damned and they're going to burn alive. You'll, you'll find it. I can find it. But if I open and be like, Lord, what do you say about these people? I'll also read that sin is sin. No one is greater. And that he loves all and that his son, I mean, John three sixteen, right there. We quote it. We've been quoting it since we're little babies in diapers. He loves the world. Not the ones that were behaving okay. He loved the world, right? But I can go through this and I can say, well, the Lord hates the drums. I'm telling you that right now. I can prove it, right? I can whip up some scripture about the, the drums of the Babylonians angering the Lord or something like that and be like, see, they make him mad. But I, and that's what most theological seminaries are built around. 
A bunch of men who had an idea and went looking through this to define and determine and uh, support their predetermined idea. That's not the truth. The Spirit is the only one that can lead us to truth. He is the author of truth. And without Him, I cannot discover it. Again, remember, even at the point of salvation, it was not by anyone's works that no one may boast, but it was a gift of God and a gift of faith that He came to us. In that moment, we had an encounter, not of our doing, but of His. Because He saw us in a moment, we were willing to say yes, and He appeared. We did not find ourselves, uh, we did not, uh, oh, how do I say this? We didn't get to Him on our own. He came to us. He came to us. But to worship in spirit, we must accept and receive truth. I cannot worship in spirit if I deny truth. Hebrews 11, verse 6 Uh-oh. Didn't mark it. Verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith. It is impossible to please God. It is impossible to live with God without faith. That's why it's important to recognize at the moment of salvation, the moment of first encounter, what is the one thing that he gives us? It's faith. It's a gift of faith. That's what the scripture says. It doesn't talk about anything else, but he presents us first a gift of faith because I can't receive the spirit without the faith. That's why baptism is so significant. Because it's the first step in obedience. It's the first step. Jesus, Jesus had faith. Because what did John do when Jesus showed up to the waters? I'm not even worthy to hold your, your, your sandals. You should be baptizing me. He says, no. We're going to do according to the word that is written. In obedience to my father. Because it was written that there would be one that would baptize him. And so he did. And in obedience, so faith, obedience, now the Spirit. But faith, it's important for us to recognize that in that moment of salvation, it talks about, and it's why it specifically talks about this is significant, that it is a gift of faith that we're given at the moment of salvation. And what is this faith? We've talked about this a bunch. When I was a youth pastor, the Lord kind of led me through this discovery of understanding on faith. And it was simply that at that moment, that gift that is provided, what we can see and we can sum up at the moment of salvation. I think every one of us can attest to this at our moment of salvation. If you remember it, what was present in faith was this abiding faith that just simply believed that God is good and he loves me. That's what I encountered. And that, that we encounter a lot of things in that moment of salvation. For a lot of people, they feel redemption and, and restoration, a lot of beautiful things. And, but at the, at the base of it, God is good. And I've experienced the love that he has towards me. Right? We encounter that, this abiding faith. And this faith, we know, because it was given to us in a moment of encounter. So faith grows from encounters with the presence of God. You want an increase in faith? Increase your time with the Lord. Increase it. I have faith in my wife to do miraculous things. 
Why do I have faith in that? Because I've seen it. I've been around her. I know her capacity. I know her skill. I know, I know how much more the Lord likes her than me. Not really, but he, he answers her faster. <laughs> he likes to make me sweat a little bit longer, I guess. She's better behaved than I am, so that's probably got something to do with it. But we, we recognize that faith grows from encounter with, uh, with the presence of God. And that faith, again, that grows is that uh, he is who he says he is and I am who he says I am. As, as we continue to increase in our relationship and our depth with the Lord, the faith that increases is just the expanding of this reality that he is actually who he says he is. And I am actually who he says I am. And I just grow deeper and deeper and deeper in my understanding and firmly rooting into that truth. Each and every day, each and every encounter with the Lord, we can walk away knowing, oh, yep, I experienced him. Every time we experience him in a new way, which we have the opportunity to do each and every day, we encounter more of what he has said to be about himself. We encounter it to be true. And then we encounter that about ourselves. That's the beauty of faith. And that's the, the faith that we're meant for each and every day. And so with that, just hang on to that knowledge for a few minutes. We're going to read a couple scriptures pretty quick. First uh, Corinthians six, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing it is a gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them if you don't haven't picked up on the theme yet, we're clearly talking about truth and it's truth specific to who we are and our identity. And these are things that most people, if I read these scriptures, these are all commonly known and recited scriptures within Western church and Christianity. These are these are meant to be powerfully uh, affirming Scriptures that keep us standing on this solid rock. If I asked the room, everyone that attends here would say they believe in these scriptures. But the evidence of belief in their story would not be present. It's really easy, especially when you localize God to a specific place, like a church building. It's really easy to believe the things he says about you here. What's harder is when you get in the car to go home. Do you still believe it there? Because his presence is still there and it's still speaking it over you. 
But do you believe that you are his workmanship? That he crafted you? A perfect God that doesn't make mistakes. We don't ever think about that. That would be a life-changing revelation of truth if people would believe it. That this perfect God doesn't make mistakes. So how can you be one? Right? How can you be a mistake? How can, how can your shortcomings be a mistake? Right? It's like what we talked about on Sunday. That one guy's voice, when he's singing by himself, not awesome. Not like our worship team. Any one of those up there, excluding that guy on the rug, can sing. And they can stand alone and sing by themselves. Right? But for most of us, we're not gifted with that talent. And what on its own sounds out of key, off pitch, not real nice in a group, creates this beautifully organic and wonderfully unique sound when all of us are singing together. That's the beautiful thing about uniqueness. Your shortcomings allow you to fit into someone else's strengths because who you are is meant to bring out greater things in me and who I am is meant to bring out greater things in you. That's the fellowship of the body of Christ. I, I, love, I love that analogy. I love that understanding. I'm so grateful that that's the way the Lord sought to teach it because with my degree, you all know, and my degree of exercise physiology and strength and conditioning, I dedicated half of my life to the study of the human body. So I recognize when he's going through these body parts and talking about the body of Christ, I start sitting there and I start thinking and I start thinking about where all these things originate. And I couldn't use this piddly little finger without the rest of this arm. Because the movement doesn't originate at the tip of it. Right? What did we do when we were kids? We'd sit there on the desk and we'd play and move our fingers and watch our arm do the wave, right? And our forearm. I'll still do that because it's cool. I don't care. I'll still sit there and do it. But these fingers are moving and stuff back here is moving. But stuff back here is moving because it's anchored into stuff up here. And that's not even mentioned all of the neurons and nerve endings and all the things, the signal that has to happen before I've even thought about moving this finger. Had the conscious thought of moving it, it started moving. But without all these systems, without all of these things in place, this guy can't do this. This simple gesture, this simple thing. It's not the prettiest finger. Right? It's a little dry. Knuckles are a little scarred up and cracked. But it still works within the hand. Right? It, it's beautiful to think about. What I'm not good at, I'm not good at on purpose. And somebody else is incredible at it. But what I can do, they can't. And then all of a sudden you start putting them together and it's really beautiful. Really beautiful. It's a really amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. I love teaching. I love teaching kids. My wife does not. But she loves writing curriculum for children. And it's way better than anything I could do. I'm telling you right now, we would be doing like little stick figures and oddly colored. I don't know. It would just it wouldn't be good. You would get your crafts after children's church and just be like, eesh. This is not good. But Sarah can see all that. But she doesn't like doing the teaching. 
We're meant to fit together. We're meant to be pieced together. And that is truth. It's important for us to recognize that this is the truth. And if I refuse to believe these things about myself, the things that he say he says are true about me. And that includes you can't just believe you can't believe that. And then also at the same time, focus on all your shortcomings and give yourself a hard time because you're not more than what he's already anointed you to be. I'm anointed to be pastor. I'm not, I'm not anointed to be president. I've got one position of leadership. It would be foolish of me to start getting frustrated because, well, I should have more of a position of leadership because I'm anointed. Like, No, that's not how it works. That's not, that doesn't make sense. That's not for you to do. We lose, it. We, we lose the impact of truth when we start to criticize what we don't have and what we aren't. Allow yourself to just understand and believe who God has called you to be, the full truth of who he is. I love that passage in Romans, and we're going we're gonna to read the, the earlier verses of it in verse 12, just because it's maybe, it is one of the more commonly taught or just read through passages, but I don't think it's widely understood, um, just because we read too fast and we go in one ear and out the other. So let's just listen to this and how profound it is. In verse 12, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If I refuse to believe these things, and that, that's the gospel that's just laid out. Everything that Jesus did was so that those truths could be made reality in us in those few verses. If I refuse to believe these things, how can I ever expect to fully worship him? How can I ever fully expect to engage with the spirit of God? There's absolutely no way. We are called to worship in spirit and truth, to believe that he is who he says he is, that I am, I am who he says that I am, and yes, and to say yes to the spirit and his moving and what he has in each and every moment, that is praise. That is praise unto the Lord. That is to worship in spirit and truth. It's to say yes to the spirit, to be led by him, say yes to his moving, and then believe those things that he says and speaks over you, over those around you. That's another big one that we're not really good at. I can, I can get there eventually about myself. It's funny too. What I, what I found to be true is that those Christians that do not believe truth about themselves will very easily believe it about somebody else. And those that have, will agree with you about the truth about themselves will also find themselves not believing it to be true about somebody else. It's odd, but I've noticed that. I've had conversations where I'm literally watching them say, no, that's not true about that person. I'm like, oh, it's true about us. It should be true about them. And they believe it. And then I've seen where it's in, in the same 
and same kind of conversations where it's, oh, that's absolutely who that person is. Well, this is who you are. No, no. Lord can't forgive me for what I've done. I can't be that. I can't be that much. And that's how we treat ourselves. It's odd. But I can't simply just believe truth about myself and then be good to worship in spirit and truth. I have to believe truth, period, about everyone. Everyone. That's why it's getting harder and harder as the Lord leads us into these things to have opinions around worldly things. The Lord is not interested in our opinions around worldly things because we are not of this world. In the world, we are not meant to be subject to their issues and their dealings. They're meant to be subject to our leadership. That's the design. But I get lost and I will not be able to do those things and operate in that capacity if I am not willing to receive truth about everything that is around me and everyone that is around me. Those that have hurt me, those that have helped me, they're still the same in the eyes of the Lord. And he still speaks good things over them. So we can't join in the world and denying truth towards them, right? We've got to be the ones to worship in spirit and truth, to be led by the spirit, period, not just when it's convenient, and to say yes to truth, period, not just when it's convenient. Because there are some days where it's really easy to believe good things about myself. There are also days where it's really hard to believe good things about myself. And sometimes it's like within 12 hours of each other. All the time. Period. And it has to be rooted in relationship with the Lord. I can't, just, I can't just encounter and be led by the Spirit. I can't just receive and say yes to truth if I do not have relationship with the Lord. That's, and that's okay. It is foolish to expect those that do not have a deep relationship with the Lord to say yes to deep and profound truths. Can't expect that. Just like I can't expect my son who's been in a car a bunch of times to know how to operate one. He's still a baby. He still does. There's a lot he doesn't know. But for those of us that walk with him each and every day, we've got to say yes to the spirit and we've got to say yes to the truth that he presents to us, period. Otherwise, those that don't know him very well or very deeply will always stay in that place. If there's not anyone else to lead them into deeper things. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com. Thank you.